You're listening to Arts Talk Radio, and I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We concentrate on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and the surrounding areas. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. Three very different topics this time, but all involving exciting new projects. We visit a brand new art gallery in Delft that is very keen on promoting sustainability in art, and we continue our conversation with dancer and choreographer Samir Calixto about his new company. But we start with a new English-language theatre company based in Amsterdam, whose first production will be opening soon. Hi, my name is Ralph Ramos. Hi, my name is Emilia Moscovich. And you are part of the Strike Me Pink Theatre Company. And I believe you've got a brand new production, which is called Peanut Pie. That is true. It's a very first production ever. And what's it about? A Peanut Pie um, tells the story of two men uh, in the late 1940s in London. And it's basically a story about love, um, loss, being yourself, and uh, a craving for peanut pie. <laughs> and I believe you are the manufacturer of this famous peanut pie. I am, yes. I am playing Anna, the wife of Stephen, and I make him lots of peanut pie. <laughs> so it's a story of a, a, a closet queer, is it? Married but a secret life, which I think was quite common in those days. True. it is uh, Indeed, it was rather common. Uh, it is about a Stephen who's married to, to Anna Thomas's wife. I think has been known that he's a homosexual for a while, and he uh, sustains an affair with a man for quite some years already and is trying to come to terms with that and it's kind of torn between choosing either one his marriage and safety or his love for this man but also the dangers that come with that without doing any spoilers does the wife know he's a homosexual um i would say no no otherwise stuff would potentially get very very complicated so you're not trying to seduce him with the with the peanut pie, trying to keep, keep him at home on the straight and narrow? Not consciously. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you wrote this play yourself? True. I, uh, I wrote it uh, during COVID. I had it in my uh, head for years, and it kind of, you know, became more clear and clear in my head. And then uh, COVID hit, and I had a lot of time on my hands, <laughs> and I started writing, yeah. And um, where did the inspiration come from? Is it based on a true story or your own experiences or what? I think the inspiration came from a lot of different things. Um, an important one for me was, because uh, I have a background in psychiatry, I've been working in a psychiatric field, and I was rather um, intrigued by uh, you know, the line between health and pathology, and when do we decide when something is pathological, when is something unhealthy, and whom besides that. So, uh, and then there was the topic of grief, that it's an important matter in this play. Because I think in those days homosexuality was considered to be a disease for which there were, was a cure. It's true. It's, besides the grief, of course, homosexuality is a big part in this play. And yeah, until 1973, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, an illness in this diagnostic statistical manual. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty weird. And mm. um, what's your background? Yeah. I mean, what have you been doing before? 
<laughs> so I'm an actor. Um, I'm 22. I trained at, in London at drama school. And um, yeah, then COVID kind of pushed me back to Holland for the time being before I can make my way back to London again. And yeah, I'm just a working actor. And I was super excited when I saw, you know, the call for peanut pie. And I was like, this is perfect because it's English work, but in Holland. So it worked out kind of perfectly for me that way. And then I mean, there's quite an active um, English language theatre scene in, 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 in Holland in general. I mean, in The Hague, you've got Stet the English Theatre, which does very good things. And in Amsterdam, you've got Queen's English Theatre Company. So it's quite a healthy scene, isn't it? I mean, uh, as an actress, can, can you work full-time in English here? Probably, yes. I mean, I've only just started here, so I wouldn't really know, but I'm, I assume so, probably. But I do Dutch work as well while I'm here. But it was it was a funny kind of thing when Peanut Pie came by, and it was kind of yeah. it was a really kind of one coincidence after the other. And before I know, it, I was I was. Here Did you know each other before? No, no. How, I mean, how many how many parts are there? How many characters in the, in the play? Wow, there are like thirteen characters, yeah. but we do it with ten actors. That's still quite a big company, ten. I know, it's, it's a bit, especially the, for the first time around, and I'm producing most of the show myself as well, besides playing one of the main characters, so, yeah, that's a lot. And where, where, where's it on, where's it taking place? It is taking place at the NDSM Theatre, mm. which is, uh, well, you have the NDSM Trein in Amsterdam, and north, just across the, the river. And it's a brand new theatre, which opened during COVID time, so not a lot of action has taken place there. And I think we are the first theatre group that will be doing oh a show God. there. Yeah, so that's pretty exciting. <laughs> and how many shows does Strike Me Pink intend to do? Do you plan to do them regularly or occasionally or what? My intention would be to do three plays a year. Yes, We'll probably start up a bit slower. Um, but I do have the second play already written. Um, but yeah, I, initially I want to do three plays a year. Are they all going to be original plays by you? I think some of them will be original and some of them will be adaptations of existing pieces. I mean, what, what have you done in the theatre before? Well, I've, I've studied mice in the theatre uh, acting in Holland. And together with some alumni, we did a lot of uh, classical repertoire. So Chekhov is one of my favourites, uh, Molière, and Wilde. All fairly ambitious for a, a smallish company. <laughs> it is, yeah. It is. Uh, we took on a risk with that. Yeah. I hope we did it somewhat justice. And where did you train in London? Um, I trained at Lambda, and then I trained at Issa. Yeah. Did you work in London at all? Well, so my graduation was around first lockdown, so it was all kind of online and it got all frazzled. But I've been quite lucky because I've actually been working quite a lot since, you know, even regardless of COVID, which is really nice. And then, of course, Peanut Pie came by, which is just completely, I'm really excited. <laughs> Great. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. That was Ralph Ramers and Emilia Moscovich of the new Strike Me Pink Theatre Company. Their first production, Peanut Pie, opens on the 26th of May at the Amsterdam's Theatre House. Arts Talk Radio Online Brazilian dancer and choreographer Samir Calisto is well known to audiences in the Netherlands, The Hague in particular, where he worked at the Corso Theatre for many years. 
Samir has now set up his own company, and the tour of their first production, Dido, Anias, Us and All, is currently on tour. I asked Samir what decided him to go out on his own. Well, um, leaving Corso was a natural step after 10 years, somehow, because uh, that was my cradle as a choreographer, and then you reach a certain point where you have to move on. And after that, I had a lot of hesitation on starting my own company in the country because um, cultural policies tend to be very transitory. They change very, very quickly. And this is very hard for any, any artist to solidify a work, even when that artist already has been working here for 20 years or something. So uh, in that process of talking, okay, how to carry on with my own work, I, I was in conversation with a former artistic director, of course, that coincidentally we left at the same time. And we are, uh, apart from having worked together for a long time, we are good friends. And I share that uh, concern. I share the fact that I, I did not see myself doing that alone, and we decided to do that. And we knew the Svola because our connection with one of our board members uh, was open to welcome a new dance company or something but at the same time for me observing the you know observing the the dance scene with uh, through a larger perspective you know like the the bigger picture of the dance scene i didn't see much sense on opening my own dance company having my own dancers and so on because i think that's the least is <laughs> something that we don't need now what we need are initiatives that actually guarantee a space for uh, independent choreographers who are experienced, who are just willing to create their work, but just don't want to deal with the whole shenanigans of cultural policies. But I mean, it must be quite difficult for a dancer because you reach, reach this uh, stage, I suppose, what in your early mid-30s, where you know you're not going to go on forever, but you've got to do something else. And I imagine it's very difficult to, 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 to make the transition from actual dancing on stage to choreography or, or something else. Yeah, that's a difficult thing. But with Matter Effects, which is the name of this foundation that we opened, we are intending to even give a step further because you have a lot of initiatives in the country for talent development that aim exactly for that uh, those artists in transition who have danced for a long time but are starting to choreograph now or are in the earlier stages of their careers and for that you can knock at some doors here in the Netherlands but the complication comes once you have solidified a certain work even if you have a, a certain audience what they like calling here the mid-career ones which is a term that I don't like very much because mid-career means that you're in the middle of something trying to achieve something you haven't done yet. And I'd rather say independent choreographers because I don't feel like I'm in the middle of anything. I'm just doing the work that I need to do now. So how's your company going to work? Are you, uh, you're not going to be a company per se. How many productions do you think you'll be doing? Well, we, we don't know. We are just starting now. We started our collaboration with Svola and the Svolse Theatres there, which really embraced us with complete open arms. They were very prompting, saying, yes, great, that can be your house here. Uh, we have collaborations also with, uh, with Drachten, with the Laveille in Friesland, and an international network that by default, because of the works of Stach, which is my partner in Matter Effects, and also my connection with some of these um, institutions, we are automatically part of. There is a European network called Danski Dance that involves uh, Scenario Publico in Italy, that involves Danish Dance Theatre, uh, Ostrava, you know, you have in many countries uh, companies that participate in that network. So that's one arm of um, 
of the initiative that we just started. So somehow we intend to at first use my work to open a certain way. Here I already have my public in the Netherlands to open a certain way for, for this initiative. So then in a later stage, but maybe not so much later than now, hopefully, start also introducing other choreographers that can benefit from that. So as I see, it's thinking of our uh, our dance field more as an organism than actually something, an object of my own ambition. But I, the Netherlands must be a great place to do it. I think possibly it's the best country in the world pro capita for, for contemporary dance. I think it still is. Uh, there's a lot being changed in the mentality of dance. I don't want to make judgments about it, but I do think that uh, the instrumentalization of arts is really playing a very heavy role now in the dance field as well in the sense how uh, once more they are trying to use as artists to um, cover holes in the social field which not all of us should be covering and trying to you know make us justify our very existence by no, I think there's this trend, it's in everywhere that, that the theatre, straight theatre, that art should be in some way therapy, yeah. which it ain't. Yeah, or, or a, social, a social form of working, but sometimes you don't need to do a work that's socially obvious to operate socially, and that's the entire problem. But when you enter in discussion with people who do not have that vision, it becomes very hard for them to. Uh, so I've, I've been entering discussions with people from many, from different parts of our society, you know, connected to culture, and many of them believe that we need to do what the audience wants. But my question is, does the audience knows what they want and what, or even better, do they know what they need? Yeah. I mean, this is the old argument, you go down to them or get them to come up to you. <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, I mean, I don't think we have a superior knowledge, but you don't ask for a patient to tell a doctor what he needs to be dis prescribed, do you see what I mean? That's, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> yeah. So, so how's, it, how's it going to work? Well, we are, uh, we continue trying to develop projects for our next season, still around my own work, but uh, in, in meanwhile, we are, for instance, w within the, the European network that we are involved now, we have a project that's called, uh, it's a sort of summer intensive that also has, I wouldn't say an educational, but it's, uh, it's something that I'm going to be conducting in Porto, in Portugal, as part of, uh, of spreading or developing a new form of working with young dancers and so on, and we see how we can also bridge that later with more experienced choreographers that might also join forces with us in the foundation. So we have this new production now. For next season, we are planning a new production with the ensemble Black Pencil here in the Netherlands and then we are going to keep planning at least let's say a performance a year and see in between also how we can flexibilize the mode of working. The thing is we are still dealing with um, the after effects of, uh, of the pandemic and that has an impact on the way theatres are programming, how many shows they are programming. Luckily enough we have, a, you know, theatres still they are very generous with my work but uh, we don't know. We are exercising an enormous amount of flexibility now in terms of plans also. Yeah. And do you still dance uh, as a dancer? I mean, do you, do you still work with other companies? No, no. That was a decision I took right in the beginning of my choreographic career in order to be taken seriously, I think. <laughs> or um, not really, because there were dancers that they continued to, in the beginning at least, they choreographed. But I was so careful in, on, okay, I said, that's the energy I have, and I'm going to apply all of that into my choreographic work. 
And I was a little bit concerned that if I kept dancing for other choreographers, my work wouldn't be taken seriously. You know, so it was a hard decision because, of course, I, I had to decline a few invitations. And, you know, yes, I mean, the, the, yeah. the problem is there's uh, in every company, in every production, there's only one choreographer, but maybe 20 dancers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, I mean, it depends on... Uh, that's also part of my of my background. If you look on how choreographers, they, they appear in the context of companies, it's normal, like, you get the Netherlands Dance Theatre, they do have their workshops where the young dancers, they can also try choreography, so that path is a little smoother somehow, and, uh, and there are lots of um, steps that are sort of uh, part of that uh, organism. But for me, really, as an, I was working as an independent dancer. Huh? I hardly had fixed contracts with company. I, I, that was a choice to be fully free to choose, you know, from a, from a young age. And somehow, since those things were completely entirely up to me, I, I said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna really uh, stand by my work. <laughs> okay, I think that will do. Thanks very much, Samir Huristo, and uh, good to talk to you again. Yes, likewise, thank you. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever you're interested in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk magazine, dot nl. Arts Talk radio online. Another new venture is in Delft, where Helene van Haften has just opened an art gallery right in the centre of town. I went along to Artline to meet Helene, and I was interested to know why she had chosen Delft. Oh, it's a very simple answer, because I'm now living in Delft. I moved from uh, Aalsmeer, this was my la last place where I lived, to Delft, because also a sister and a brother of mine are living here and I sold my house in uh, Aalsmeer, so that's very simple. Then I came in Delft, I had my house and I still had my gallery because uh, the gallery started already uh, about 40 years ago in The Hague originally. Um, then we moved to Amsterdam, then to Aalsmeer and then I was suddenly in Delft and then I thought mm, I have to start again with the gallery. and. Um, on the moment I thought about this, I found this place where we are now in the Foltersgracht number 18. Um, that's just literally 50 metres from the main town square. Yes, it's, it's very near in the centre. It, actually, it is the centre of, of Delft and it's a very nice place where a lot is happening. Except contemporary art. There aren't many contemporary art galleries or, or even many serious art galleries here. So w the, the, the work you're presenting is, looking around, nearly all abstract. Yes, exactly. That's uh, what we always did with uh, working with abstract uh, art. And uh, what you can see now here in the gallery is in fact the old collection. And I will exhibit this till uh, the end of August. And then in September, I will start with uh, new exhibitions, but with a little bit a different theme. But you're going to do mixed shows of gallery artists and you're going to do one man or one person shows as well. Yes, both I will do. Both. It, it depends on what the theme is and depends on the artist. Uh, so it, it will be different uh, exhibitions. 
but the theme, the 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 total theme will be cultural um, uh, sustainable art. So, what is sustainable art? Sustainable art is is art that um, has a view to what sustainability must be here in. Uh, um, uh, in, in the world because it's a very important theme and I think that it is a theme that can be used by artists. We, we are even not aware of the fact how much we spoil every day and we throw into the dustbin and we don't use again and it's because of a lot of rules that we are um, living like this but it must stop. But that doesn't really apply to art. Nobody throws pictures or sculptures in the dustbin. You're quite right, because art is one of the things that mostly will survive in this world. But it's not only the, the, the painting itself, but uh, it also must have the message of sustainability. Although we must say that nowadays more and more artists are using also plastics in their works. And even I have it here in my gallery. Yes, I mean, there was a very big change from oil paints to acrylic paints. Yeah. And the oil paints were made on from vegetable oils, mainly, whereas acrylics are 100% plastic. Yeah, exactly. So th then you see the, in the use of the materials that there is also a possibility to make it more sustainable. And it's a way of thinking uh, that you must do to change this all. Um, also, when you look here around, there is a lot of stuff that I already have 20, 30 or 40 years. But what you also can see is that all the paintings are packed at the moment in plastics. So also over there, we have to change those, those things. Straw. So, you could do it in straw. Um, uh, um, maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> Although maybe you can see then the straw in all the paintings. There is a lot also that that normally goes to the dustbin. We can use reuse it also in, in artworks, uh, in artworks where we have a message. That was Helene van Haften talking about sustainability in art at her new gallery Artline in Delft. Art Talk Radio Online. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for for this week. Uh, this is Arts Talk Radio, and my name's Michael Hasted. If you have any comments, please leave them in the box below. So, until the next time, it's goodbye from me. Bye.